0: Hi, I'm Daniel Wordsworth. For more than 30 years, I've experienced war zones, natural disasters, refugee camps and sprawling slums. Now I'm going to show you a better and more optimistic world. This podcast is Finding Good. There's a lot happening in the world, Daniel. There is, Fitz. There's a lot happening since we last
1: spoke. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Where do we start? Um, I guess my question is, people are afraid at the moment do they have a reason to be afraid?
0: Wow. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> something small to start something with. Something small to start with. Well, what do you think people are afraid of? Well, I mean, look at what's happening
1: in in Gaza. Let's start with, you know, the Palestinian people and the Israeli people and, and what's happening there in that conflict. Now, I know this is difficult for you to talk about because – there are two, let's be honest, there are two Daniels. There's Daniel Wordsworth, the host of Finding Good, and there's Daniel Wordsworth, the CEO of the world's biggest charity, World Vision. Yeah. So how are you How are you feeling about talking about this, by the way?
0: Yeah, yeah. It Well, I, I'll be clear. World Vision is the largest charity on earth, but World Vision's in 100 countries. Right. So I'm the CEO of World Vision here in Australia. Yes. And so there's a group of us that sort of lead the larger thing. But, yes, there's sort of two me's it's pretty hard to actually break them out sometimes. And this is one of those moments where it's pretty hard to break it out. Mm -hmm. I've actually had some texts from some listeners to the podcast who have said, why am I silent on this? Why have the socials gone silent on this? And uh, I'm really conflicted about it, actually, because this is like a giant thing that's happening in the world, Uh, the conflict um, in Israel, the conflict that's occurring in Gaza. It's appalling in every single way no feeling human being can watch uh, the news and at every facet of this not be a mix of sad, heartbroken, indignant, fearful, as you've said, fearful. This thing covers the whole spectrum of emotions. And it's typically, you know, World Vision and in my role, normally we would always speak out on anything that's affecting children and this is affecting children in a ca- truly catastrophic way whether you're in in Israel or whether you're in Gaza. Some of the things that happen to kids in uh, Israel are appalling. But we feel like we can't speak. Why is that? I think I have three reasons why. So number one, no one who's speaking out is getting – it's not – it's like um, shouting into a hurricane or a cyclone, right. right? Like you, you're standing there and you're shouting what you're trying to say, and there's a maelstrom that's around you, mm. and this one is so polarized on every way. And and so, step part one, if I was to go onto my socials and talk about this, uh, I would be inviting people to be triggered and to reveal the worst parts of themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the opposite of what I want to do. Yeah, yeah I, I'm trying to help people find the best parts of themselves. And there are certain things that are triggering in such a deep way that it brings out this st- stuff and so on. There's a part of that is just on the socials. I, I don't see how I won't provoke the worst parts of people. Secondly, what I'm, what we're worried about is the judgments that form because we're in a moment of time where you don't have the, uh, necessarily the time frame to either clearly articulate what your position is. But even in this current moment, those clear articulations can't be heard and people will reach a judgment. And uh, so, for example, uh, if I speak on behalf of Kids Everywhere, will people think that I'm taking a stance against mm. Israel or against the Palestinians and then will will we be remembered for this? And will a judgment be formed? And will those judgments in, impede our ability to work there, actually, yeah. and in the broader world? That the, the one the one. If you think about Daniel, what do you think about somebody who believes in human beings and is is in the good fight, yeah. you know, all the time in the good fight? And when you think about an organization like World Vision, you want to say, who is the greatest champion for children around the world? Well, World Vision clearly is, and we want to remain pure in that. And so we don't want to be tarnished and we don't know a way to communicate right now that wouldn't cause tarnish. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not that we're afraid of it for ourselves but we're afraid of it for the impact that this would have going forward when Australians think about us because our job is to unleash the generosity of the Australian people for kids around the world and we never want to um, hamper that in any way. Uh, The third reason is... It's very hard to provide an intelligent recommendation that people don't already know. So we're right now we're in a, a moment where there's a ceasefire. Uh, we know that hostages need to be released. Uh, we we know that um, humanitarian space needs to be given so that humanitarian assistance can be provided. Everybody knows this, and so coming out and saying the obvious, I just don't think that's very helpful. And in those moments, what we try to do is work more behind the scenes to remove barriers, to find opportunities, find ways of working. And that's really what we're focused on. So does that mean you don't, you don't do anything? No, certainly not. No, no. We go about doing our work. If children and communities are caught up in something like this, Well Vision acts. We act. We do something. Uh, I myself was just over in the region. I've just only just recently got back. So World Vision is very active. We're working in the West Bank. Now, so for people listening, when we're talking about Israel and the Palestinians, the Palestinians are actually living in two areas within, uh, two territories within Israel. One is Gaza and the other one is called the West Bank. And we have been active in the West Bank for many years and World Vision is acting there. We're responding. We're working with hundreds of thousands of people in that country providing life-saving assistance. And the West Bank, there's a lot of issues happening there. We're also looking at the wider region. We're concerned that this will spill over into the wider region and World Vision has a presence in the countries that are surrounding Israel and so we're getting ready. And that's part of what I was doing. I was over in the region... Are working on our assessment, looking at how we're planning, if there's a, a, a bigger response needed across the region.
1: Mm. I understand what you mean about the social media aspect. Back back to your first point, because there seems to be no wins there. Like if you look at actors, musicians, everything they post at the moment, anything. Julia Louis Dreyfus is a great example. You right. know Elaine yeah, from yeah, Seinfeld, Seinfeld and, yeah. and Veep. Mm-hmm. She posted a picture of herself the other day on the cover of the Wall Street Journal magazine in a nice dress, and the first comment was "Free Palestine." what are you doing about the murders in Israel? Like just this diatribe, anyone who posts gets hit with what are you doing to stop this? What are you doing about this crisis? It's like I'm an actor. I read lines. I can't, I can't impact that. So I'd imagine, you know, the world's biggest charity is going to just attract that times a thousand, right? But is that where people don't understand the work you think that these humanitarian charities do, and they're like, "Well, you you must impact decision making at a political level." Why else? Or is it just they're so angry they needs it? They need to speak their mind, or they feel powerless, and so this is an out, outlet for them to be heard.
0: I think people are so horrified, so hurt, so afraid, so sad. They are feeling so powerless, and. This rep- sometimes in the podcast we talk about this idea that many of us feel like we're passengers in world events, hmm. that there's some small group that's like got power and is controlling things, and we're powerless in the face of it. And then we should all just watch Netflix, right? And sometimes we can put up with that when the stakes don't seem very high, when it's just you know we're going about business and we're talking about economic anxiety and some other things. Then we're like okay, but there comes moments where. The suffering is so profound, the damage is so uh, lasting where the answers seem so distant and you do want to cry out, surely somebody should do something. And in those moments you think, come on, you one percenters! like you're meant to be running the world, you're always out talking and always doing things, you're on covers. Mm. Like aren't you doing anything? Like because we need – you tell us you're in power – Powerful people do something good for a human being, please. We're begging you, and so I think that's what's happening. Is a deep, it's a very human reaction, and I totally understand it, and uh, I feel the same thing. What about, you know? So that's just, that's one area,
1: right. because then you've got Ukraine and Russia that that continues. Mm. And I saw Zelensky's now going; <laughs> uh, he's unhappy with the conflict in Israel because it's taking the focus off Russia and.
0: Ukraine. I think he would have. I'm guessing that he would have said something like that. He's very concerned that an outbreak of conflict in that region would take attention away from a long-standing, sort of, from a conflict that's going on that's still affecting thousands, millions of people. Yeah. And can the world walk and chew gum at the same time? Right, that's an American experience. Yeah. Can we still do two things?
1: That's probably a much more articulate way of <laughs> putting it than I, I represented it. But that's essentially what. What he was saying.
0: Yeah. Well, I think he recognises that, I've, and I've noticed this on TikTok, I'm a mad TikTok listener, and I used to every day see maybe 30 or 40 TikToks of, you know, the front lines mm. and what was happening and updates and analysis on Ukraine. I was getting that all the time. And now all of those people are posting up those same things about the conflict uh, in the Middle East. Mm. And I've, I've certainly noticed on TikTok a decline in uh, in Ukraine. And so I, I think there's also a reflection there is like, are we really just so weak at dealing with complexity that we can't manage two crises yeah. uh, that are going on and without neglect? But I don't think governments are, by the way. Okay. Right? Because the, the, the way governments are broken up is they're broken up according to regions. So it's not like the people that were responding in the US government around Ukraine and what was happening in Europe those are different people that have the, like a hat that says Middle East on it. They have a hat that says Europe on it. And so those two people, they all go about their work. So, yes, a lot of the world's institutions and infrastructure can manage two of these things. It just seems that media and attention can't.
1: So, that, that, But that then becomes a concern for organisations like World Vision and, and you know, anyone else that's working in, in the humanitarian space as a result of these crises or yeah. around these crises that if these wars and conflicts go on long enough, they almost become... Background, they become wallpaper because they're just there continuously. So, this,
0: yeah, is, so this, this I,
1: seems I, crass, but if you're looking at it from a, a marketing and a brand point of view, you'd be like, how do we get this back on the front page? How do we make people aware of this again? How do we remind people of the crisis and the humanitarian well, crisis I, that's happening in this
0: country? I, I, I would frame it another way. Why do we need to remind them? Right. So. It's a, there's, Okay, let's talk about whether there's a brand and a marketing exercise here. And I do take a different stance. And most people that work in my sector are talking about it the way you're talking about it. Like, why can't people remember the Ukraine conflict? By the way, there's a hunger crisis going on in the Horn of Africa right now. There were three major earthquakes in Herat in Afghanistan in the same week that the beginning of the Middle East crisis happened. Hundreds and thousands of people lost their homes in and around Herat in Afghanistan Right now, there is a drought on the Amazon that I was just at, and so I go, I'm getting sent pictures because I've uh, our team on the ground in Brazil and on the Amazon. Mm-hmm. They sent me a picture of an area that we were navigating around on these canoes to get to, because you couldn't go anywhere with it. Now, all of those areas are, are dirt and dry. Really? The Amazon has shrunk, shrunk, wow. because of a huge drought that's going on. So, <laughs> so if it's a part of you that might be sitting there going. Thank you, Daniel, for this catalogue of ills. Yeah. <laughs> th- there was a journalist once in Minneapolis who called me the Merchant of Doom. Her yeah. point was, yeah. whenever she was bringing me on the show, she would like if she walked in the room and saw me sitting in the green room waiting, she yeah. would be like, "What dreadful thing has yeah. just happened?" Here's a laundry <laughs> list of bad There's things happening in the about world. About to happen. So, but I'm saying this the other way. I'm saying this the other way, which is, we got this. We got this. Do I wake up every morning sweating that the electricity commission? That 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 they've remembered, you know, just turn up and switch the electricity on for mm. the city of Melbourne. Do I, if I have children, will I wake up in them in a cold sweat at 4 a.m. thinking, what if I send my kids to school and no teachers come? <clears throat> right? Or or I I I I have anxiety when I'm standing at the tram spot because I'm thinking, I gotta get to work. And what if like the trams, they just took a day off, right? Every day. In a functioning society, we assume that there are people throughout our society that have got it. Right. And I, I would like people to think of World Vision as that. So what happens is when Ukraine happened, the Australian people in an incredibly generous way stepped up and donated money to World Vision. And we got on the media and the media shot, I went over to Ukraine twice and the media was great. I got interviewed from all different places. Everyone did their job. And people gave us money. And guess what? World Vision is still in Ukraine responding. Every morning we wake up. I talk to the team that we wake up every morning and we work on the Ukraine crisis. Mm -hmm. And the beauty is that it means people listening to this, it's okay. We got that. And thank you for your donation, what, a year ago, two years ago, because we're still using that money to do good in the world. And we're going to keep finding more. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't care about Ukraine? No, of course you should keep an eye on this. Uh, of course, you should just keep it present in your life, but it doesn't have to be a thing that generates fear. And so, again, that's, that's part of the reassurance I want to give on this podcast, even about the Middle East, is to say, no, of course we're there. Even if we can't say anything, it doesn't mean we're not there. I couldn't live my, with myself if I wouldn't, wasn't there, right? That's my job description, Yep. So so all of that is to say I don't want people to have to sit there and realize every single moment all the bad things I get to do that, right? Everybody else gets to worry about the things they have to worry about in order for me to get petrol in my car. So this is all part of functioning society and just to say we got it, we're responding to it. Again, I'm not I don't minimize this. We should keep a track of what's happening around the world. But what happens is we get so many negative things that we get full of fear and we get crippled.
1: Yeah, well, I I feel I mean I feel like People are afraid at the moment, you know. And when you add to that, you know what's happening with with China pushing into the Southeast Asia, um, and the situation potentially bubbling a situation in in Taiwan that's been going for years, by the way. But now, for some reason, it seems to be ramping up. Uh, you've got the earthquakes that you just mentioned. You've got hurricanes. You've got droughts in the Amazon. Okay, now I'm really scared. You've just you've come up with four or five other things that I wasn't aware of. Mm. So how do we how do we look at that and go? Don't be scared. Apart from, don't worry, we've got it. Because that's good to say, but that's like telling someone with anxiety, "Hey, there's nothing to be anxious about." It's like, well, I'm anxious, so there is something to be anxious about. Yeah. So
0: to, to clarify, I'm saying there's nothing. What I'm saying is, you don't need to consume your life with all of the things that are happening all the time and feel guilty that you're not adequately remembering Ukraine on a daily basis. Right. And the and the fear that you have, or the the guilt that people feel. I had forgotten about Ukraine for the last six months. How bad a person am I? And you say, no, it's okay. You know, you joined in. You were part of that. It's all right. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad. Again, I'm not giving people a free pass to not care about what's happening in the world. I'm just saying you don't have to feel like it's all on your shoulders, Mm -hmm. that uh, there are other people carrying different things. But that's not enough to say yes, but what's the future going to be? if this? We feel like right now where there's momentum building, around major shifts around the world and what does this mean or what implications are there for us. So there are three big geographic flashpoints in the world Mm -hmm. and two of them have blown up. So if we would have said this before Ukraine. We would have said there are three potential flashpoints that are defined by the geography that they're in. So Ukraine and uh, Russia was one, uh, which is a threat to Europe. Uh, The Middle East is always one. And that is seen through the lens of Palestinians and Israel. That kind of that's like a flashpoint, mm-hmm. and a lot of good stuff was happening there actually. And then uh, this happened. And the third geographic flashpoint is China and China's relationship to the rest of Asia and to the ocean lanes around it, and also Taiwan as a potential uh, flashpoint. And so right now people are looking at all of this, going, well, there are three areas we should be watching, and two of them have have triggered. you know, in the last two years. So people are then saying, what about the third? Right, and it was all heightened. And uh, as we've talked about on past episodes, China is building its navy. And so one interpretation is they're building it to invade Taiwan. Another interpretation of it is it's the same way that the US has a large navy. The navies are essentially used to protect shipping. That's what they're created to do, to create safe environments in the ocean that allow ships to move through freely because globalization needed that. And so if you're a country and you rely on shipping, you have to keep and protect your shipping lanes. And so you would build your navy. So that would have nothing to do with Taiwan. It would have to do with needing to protect your shipping lanes. So um, that's what could be happening there. But how do I respond to all of these things? I, I, I tie it back to the stuff that we talked about in the first podcast. How do I not have anxiety? How do I, when I talk to my daughter... Help her to not have anxiety. Mm. I ground myself in my three questions, and those are the ones we talked about in the first podcast, where I said I think these these three questions will define the twenty first century. So remind how, us of those again. Yeah, how we answer those three questions will define the twenty first century, and in fact, you're, we're seeing it play out. So the first question is: Is there enough in the world? Is there enough land, money? Genius, creativity, whatever it is, right? Is there just enough in the world? Oil, uh, future energy, is there enough? The second question is, are people basically good or basically bad? What's the, the natural inclination of the human being? And the third one is, can everyday people actually do anything about this world or are we really just passengers? So if we look at that first question, is there enough in the world? one way to look at that is through the lens of geography or country or territory. And so you're seeing that play out. Is there enough land? No, there's not enough land. We have to fight for the land we have. We have to try to take more land. Uh, money, resource, energy is a big, uh, big part of Ukraine issue, big part of what's going on in the Middle East. So is there enough? My point is in the three questions is that, that whatever answer you give becomes true for you. Right. So if you say there's not enough in the world – the world will show up that way. It will really will become that way. You will see it all over the place. That the world is scarce, there's not enough, we have to fight for what we have. And but yet what I've noticed over time, and I came to this reluctantly, I did not start this way, I came to this reluctantly, was the view that actually there's much more in the world than you can ever dream of. The world is much more abundant than people think. And what I've noticed is the moment where I began consciously deciding to, to believe the world was abundant, I found that it became that for me. And not just in a place like Melbourne or a place like New York that are obviously abundant, but I discovered that in a refugee camp. So a place that was clearly scarce, that had nothing. I simply chose one day to try to imagine that this place is full of abundance and from the moment I started believing that, I actually saw it differently and abundance appeared to me. Yet we began getting all this stuff. So that's a key one. So the, the second question... So, but
1: hang on, how do, at, how do you look at a situation in, in the Middle East and, and see abundance there? Yeah.
0: This was to the earlier part of this podcast when you said, why don't we say more? And the third point was I said I have nothing intelligent to yeah, say. Okay. <laughs> so, sometimes there's an exception that proves the rule. But I have been open about this throughout all the podcasts because I've, I've said every time I'm convinced there's no answer that the Cree questions don't work, The tables get turned, but it's not like I don't get to those moments. The Ebola was one instance where I gave, where I was like, no, no, no. The Ebola outbreak happened. We had to get doctors and nurses to go. I said, this is the one time where the world is not abundant. People will not all show up and be good. And they all did. They crashed our, our website, so many people. So I'm having one of those moments. I'm having one of those moments where I look at this situation and I go, nothing good will come of this. Nothing good. And it's overwhelmingly scarce, I'm seeing some of the worst of people. And so this time I'm back to what happens to me. This is why I call myself reluctant optimism because my natural tendency yeah. is to go, well, it's all come undone now. But but in my experience over 25 years, it never ends up that way. But sometimes there's an exception that proves the rule. So if
1: history is any, any great teacher, hopefully over the next few weeks or a couple of months, you can come back here and say, I
0: found it. I think I could, I found yeah. I would, I would believe that you could find in this something abundant and something good will reveal itself. It Again, my point is never that evil and wickedness does not exist and the scarcity does. I've never said that, that all things every time are always good and abundant. I've just said even in the worst places where the most appalling things are happening, if you stay there and you're in there, what begins to reveal itself is goodness. Mm-hmm. And so I would expect that to happen. It's going to need to happen, by the way. Yeah. It's going to need to happen. So we should expect to see it. Second question. Yeah, are, are people good or not? And th- this is a moment, again, where people can say, well, some pretty horrific things happened. But a, part of what I've and I don't ever want to minimise, I, I never, this is always the danger of speaking to these things. Is anyone would think for a second that I would minimise anything that's occurred over the last three weeks and I would be appalled and upset by just one of the many things. Mm. And many of them are inexcusable but the whole world knows about this. It's a little bit like um, one point that I make sometimes is that there's so little evil in the world that we know all the bad guys by name. We talk about all these horrific things. If I said to somebody, tell me they would, when they try to prove me wrong, they go, explain Hitler, Pol Pot, hmm. you know, Jeffrey, what's his name? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And then I go, isn't it funny that we all know these names? And then if I said, now describe to me all the goodness in the world, people would go, I don't, I mean, it's just, it's just too <laughs> much there to ever name all the names, right? So it's like this really bad and really evil is so unusual that when it happens, it galvanizes the attention of the whole world because it's not our typical experience. So even in this one where you see the most appalling things happen, I would say, isn't it that the whole world is mm. galvanized and sees this because it is so abhorrent and it is so opposite to the normal way human beings are yep. and in my view it proves my point that largely everybody is most people are good not everybody yeah <laughs> that, obviously. The, that the overwhelming majority of people are good uh and i think what we're going to see is we're going to see that play out i was on a telephone call just recently uh well I had a start I was sitting in the car. One of the staff was sitting on the telephone call and was like feeding back to all of us in the car. But because you can't get too many of you on this big call, but it was 144 aid workers that were working on this uh, response, and they reported that you know over the last 58 aid workers had been killed over the last few weeks, but they here. These 144 were that were all like brainstorming and battling to get convoys of humanitarian supplies in, and, and uh, it was just a reminder to me of how remarkable people are so that's happening now yeah and can we all do something that's the I, I I know there's abundance in that region I know people are good the third point which is that I believe that if we all come together we can make a difference that one's a bit strained at the moment yeah yeah that, <laughs> that one's a bit strained uh, could we by the way yes will we be allowed to I don't know but could we of course we could
1: but you're not talking about ending conflict in that situation you're you're I mean or oh, are talking about the response? To- oh, I,
0: I think if you answered those three questions and you, you looked at that region through those three lenses over time, these things don't work overnight. You can't just rewire humans overnight. But I think if we began over the next 10, 15 years to look at the region that way, yes, it would remove a large-scale conflict like this. Conflict never goes away, but it would remove large-scale conflict like this. And in fact, up until this moment, conflict was being removed from that region. Mm. So keep that in mind. Real breakthroughs were happening in that region between, like, Saudi Arabia and Israel, and a whole bunch of stuff. This just got overturned, but real breakthroughs were already happening.
1: I guess the challenge as well is that you want you know you want people to be able to go about their lives and, and as you said you know not think I need to keep everything in mind because people like you and those around the world have got it. You know we've got this, as you said, but also you don't want to minimize people's real life experiences. The example we used to get when we were kids was, you know, I'm really hungry. I'm starving. You're not starving. Kids in Africa are starving. But I'm hungry now. Mm. So then my experience is I'm hungry. Yeah. Right. But you also don't want to minimize people's experiences. I crashed my car. It's the worst thing to happen to me this week. Well, is it? Well, at least you're not living in the Middle East. (laughs) Right. You know, like uh, how often do you hear that? Well, things could be worse. You could be in Ukraine.
0: Yeah. I really don't like it. It really invalidates, uh, People's experience. lived experience. It really invalidates it. I don't, My daughter had a car crash once and, boy, howdy, if you ever want to see a lion appear, right, yeah. she, when she called me up, I ran all these red lights to get to her, yeah. right? And I was roaring as I went through each one at the temacity of anyone to try to go through the green light yeah. and interfere with <laughs> me getting to my daughter, right? And people would go, she dinged the car. Yeah. Yeah. It was not even a serious crash, but it's my baby. I I don't. This sometimes the temptation when you start work on things like the work that I do in the early days. You start saying things to people. You go on a trip somewhere and then you come back and then you shame everybody, right? People, yeah, yeah. I had a bad week. Well, I was just, you know, let me tell you about my week, or let me tell you about the refugees. Mm -hmm. I talked to a, a, a neuroscientist about this once. He made an interesting observation to me. He said all feelings are the same for everybody.
1: And oh, no, uh, at a neurological level,
0: Yeah, it means they feel the same. So when you feel sadness, the way the whole brain ticks up and down, like when they measure what it what the brain does when you're feeling sad, whether that's the loss uh, and people will um, think I'm minimizing these things again and I'm not, but I'm saying it's the same sadness. The sadness that you would feel in a suburb in Melbourne if something happens to you is actually the same sadness that you feel in a village in Tanzania. This, that human experience is literally the same. Fear, anxiety, happiness, joy, we're all having exactly the same feeling of the, or experience of the human um, life and our presence. And so that's why you can't minimise this. When a person is depressed and sad and full of anxiety in Melbourne, I personally take that as seriously as anyone experiencing the same feeling in any of the countries that I'm working in. It's nothing but a reason to have compassion and generosity toward that person because it feels the same for both. And they should never be minimised. And if people are listening to this, uh, grappling with those things, don't never for one moment say, I shouldn't feel this way because it's much worse if I was a Palestinian in Gaza or if I was a hungry person in Somalia. That will never help you. It do, it's not a way forward for you. That comparison is not real. And I will also tell you because I know and I have friends in all these places, they don't want you to think that. Yeah. They truly don't want you. Do you think a mother that's got a child that's hungry in um, Somalia wants you to feel miserable when you're feeding your children? She would in fact feel happy okay. that you could. She would feel if she saw you, she would smile and say, I'm so happy for you. Mm. It's hard for me and I would love to be able to do that, but I feel so happy for you. But there would
1: be a level of shame as well, wouldn't there, around that if if they thought that you were thinking of them when you were
0: in that situation. No, because I think that that's where I think we're tempted to think that. Right. But I think they would say, oh, no, I'm, I'm beyond that. Yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> I'm trying to help my child. I'm just not make, being mean to you about it. Okay. But no, what I really need to know is where's the nutrition feeding center. And I need to yeah. get there. That's what's occupying my mind. It's not about you, it's about me and about my kid.
1: Right. But don't bring up those situations no, no, to- that- comparatively for people, because you start to lose friends, I'd imagine. And you, you know, will people lose like, friends. gee, you must be fun at parties, Daniel.
0: And you know who else you'll lose? You'll lose your own children. Because if you say that stuff over dinner. And then you sit there afterwards and eat a tub of ice cream. The yeah. kid's looking at you going, you don't seem too worried about that child in Africa right yeah. now, mum or dad, when you're eating your ice cream. In the end, kids, they want you to love them and let them not invalidate them.
1: Okay, I hear, I hear your points on the three questions and reframing and you know, thinking positive. Uh, but I still feel, I have still a fair bit of fear and anxiety around what's happening in the world at the moment. You know, I can't, it's not going to change immediately, but I take your point. And I'll try and use the three questions. But can you help me find something good in the world right now?
0: Yeah, I, well, yes. But what I mean,
1: I, we've, we've named it finding good. Let's, let's deliver let's on that. Let's find something good.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I would say I'm, I'm not in a way I'm not saying for people to think positively because there are moments when I look at things and I can see them in a very negative way and that, that, that's an accurate reflection. That's an appropriate grasp of the situation. Hmm. Yep. What I am saying is to build a, a belief system – That is, no matter what I'm seeing right now, even though it appears that there's not enough and that that people are struggling, there actually is enough. So I'm going to sit in that for a while and I'm going to sort of let that mantra go. And even when I see true wickedness occurring, I'm going to remind myself that actually there's an overwhelming number of good people in the world and that that will in the end overcome all of that. And that three, that human beings are quite remarkable in that we always find a way through things and we've survived so many dreadful and terrible things that human beings are incredibly resilient and we've always found a way through those. And we will do it again. But it doesn't mean that for some time that you're not experiencing or suffering, right? That's, that's just part of the human experience. Mm. So th- then I would say is this, what do you do? If you're sitting now and you f- you're looking around the world at these large things that are occurring, and you feel absolutely powerless in this. I would say simply ask the, and I this is going to sound really metaphysical to you, but I would say this: simply ask, just stand, walk out in front of your house, look in the sky, and say, "Bring me something good to do. Bring me something good to do." And do that when it comes.
1: Is that And do you think it's suggesting that's manifesting itself Because within you, will, you?
0: Because the moment you make, you, if, you, if you heard of the Honda Accord or the Honda Civic, um, the research thing, you know, that you've never seen a Honda Accord and then you buy one and then suddenly you oh, see yeah, a Honda of
1: course. or they call it whatever it yeah, is. Everyone's got a Honda Accord.
0: No, everyone's got a. So it's the moment that you reminded yourself to look for a Honda Accord, suddenly Honda Accords are everywhere. Okay. It's not like you manifested them. It's not like suddenly there's a giant warehouse that said, "Now Fitz is thinking about us." <laughs> release, Everyone, the Honda it, release the hundred records. <laughs> they were always there, right? It's just that you just like somehow reminded yourself. So by going out the front and saying, "Show me good," yeah. all you're doing is saying I'm, you're just telling your brain begin looking around for something good. That's all you're doing. Okay. And your brain will just go, okay. Because I thought you've been telling me the last few weeks. Look up everything that's freaking me out and scanning through Instagram or TikTok, brain, show me everything appalling that is going on and your brain has been, you've been skipping all the good TikToks, the dogs and the the parrots and you've been (laughs) been seeing the bad ones and what I'm saying is when you make yourself open, something good will come and then I will say, do it, do it. Something good will appear, do it. You're from your neighbour or in your workplace or somebody will show up and want to talk to you about something. You've been given a gift, do it. Because that's the combination of millions of us all doing that every day is what's going to turn this all around. It's a very real and very true thing. And then you say, is it something good? There's so many good things that I get to see. This is why my job is the best job ever. Like here's one. Mm. I think I mentioned it briefly in, um, in the end of the last season. But I'm on this telephone call with like all the, the WellVision leaders around the world. And WellVision has like a bank, microfinance bank. We do a million loans every year to poor people. And there's a guy um, that runs that is a guy called Edgar Martinez, and he's based in Miami in the U.S. He's an ex banker. Now he runs this bank, like it's like a bank for poor people. And he, at the end of this big long session, somebody said, "Edgar, you've you've, got, you've come up with something good, haven't you?" Edgar goes, "Yeah, I think we've come up with something pretty good." And then everybody say, "What have you come up that's so good, Edgar?" Edgar says, "Well, I think we've been working on this the last few years, and I think we've cracked it." We have developed a health insurance product for poor people that will work in almost any country that you can name and it costs $30 a year. And this call was happening at 1.45 in the morning and I was falling asleep. And then I just heard this, health insurance for poor people, $30 a year. I leapt up. I thought I had to mute on. It was one of those Zoom calls. I thought I had to mute on. I leapt up. (laughs) It started shouting and dancing at 1.45 in the morning. I shouted out so loud. I still don't even know how this happened in technology. I shouted so loud and created such a consternation that poor Edgar lost his connection in Miami. (laughs) I don't know how it happened. I went up and I started dancing and then Edgar went... Off the screen. And I'm like, Edgar, where did you go? Like I, I freaked him out. He just suddenly hit That's this. That's kind
1: of like the Zoom mic he, drop though, he just, He's that? like <laughs>
0: he, he, he disappeared and then he couldn't come back on. Like I'd sent some energy through the Zoom universe yeah. and blowing out his uh, Zoom call <laughs> because I'm sitting there and then everyone else on the line is like, Daniel, you haven't got the mute on, right? We can all hear you dancing, shouting, celebrating. What are you doing? And I go, did you all just hear what I just heard? They're like, I, we think so. <laughs> I said, we have come up with a health insurance product for the world's poor people and it costs $30 a year. Then one guy goes, one guy was on the call, this is what humans are like, he goes, oh, I've been part of that uh, product development. He's a guy in Lebanon, yeah. Hans. He's the Twitter guy in the whole universe, by the way. He goes, I've been part of that and it's not exactly, in Lebanon it's not exactly $30 a year. And then, I, then I'm like, well, how much is it in Lebanon? He goes, well, it's $50. $30 a month would have been okay. So I'm like, then the next day I ring up Edgar. Edgar's finally getting all his technologies coming back online. And I go, I just got to, are you serious? We've got a health insurance product that we can offer to poor people around the world? And it's like $30 to $50 a year? He's like, yes. And then I said, well, my friend, you've just changed the whole world. And he said, I thought I just developed a health insurance product. And I said, you know what drives poverty more than anything else in the world is the sickness because we have all these little clinics and when a person gets diarrhoea or hurts them, they get they go to the clinic and they get looked after. But if you're a poor family and you break your leg or you have a problem in childbirth or you get a serious illness, you can't go to a hospital. And if you have to go to a hospital, you've got to sell all your goats and all your cows and you, you, you consign your family to absolute abject poverty for the rest of their lives because you broke your arm. Mm. But if we have health insurance... It means that all these people can go to hospitals and when they have a complication in birth, they can be looked after and when their kid breaks their arm, they can be looked after and when if they get uh, some serious illness, they can be looked after in hospital. I said, my friend, you've just changed the whole world. We're going to let you and I let, We're going to create the world's largest health insurance company for poor people. And he was like, well, that's a super awesome idea. <laughs> and so now I'm thinking, well, we've just like cracked it. That's the whole world changed and it has changed. So the danger is you can look at all these bad things There's so many good things that are coming up. And so I I come in here going, let's get fired up on this health insurance thing. So is that happening? Yeah, it's happening, yeah. (laughs) It is, really? It's really happening, yeah, yeah. Wow. That's going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. That's I love that one so much.
1: Excellent. Well, what I'm going to do now is walk outside and look at the sky and say, show me good. I'm reminding myself to find something.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Find something good.
0: You're just telling your brain, Mm -hmm. look for that now, not all the bad
1: stuff." Send me the Honda Accords. Release the Honda Accords.
0: They're already there.
1: Okay. (laughs) Hey, uh, thanks, Daniel. Good, thank you, Fitz. Good to talk to you.
0: Great.